Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted right here at OU.org, in which each podcast is a study, review, investigation, and analysis of one of the aliyot of the current week's parasha. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and it's been a delight to be studying Parashat Balak with you over the course of this week. We're now at the sixth aliyah, which begins after two unsuccessful attempts by Balak to get Bil'am to curse the people. We are in Perak Chaf Gimel, Pasuk Chaf Zayin, chapter 23, verse 27. And again, using the same pagan thinking, I will take you to another place. Maybe it will be straight in God's eyes. And you'll curse him from, you'll curse the nation for me from there. Meaning that perhaps if I find a different location, I can get God to agree. So they go up to a place that's called Paor. That's the name of the mountain. Which looks over the entire desolate area where B'nai Israel are camped. And now we have a situation where instead of like the first two times, he only saw a part of the camp. Here he could see the entire camp. Again, the same command. This time, as in the first time, unlike the second time, Bilam instructed Balak to build the seven uh, altars and to bring seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did exactly what Bilam bade him to do. And he uh, built the altar and uh, brought the offerings. And Bilam saw that it was good in God's eyes to bless Israel. This time he didn't go like he normally went in the way of divination. And he turned his face towards the desert. In other words, as opposed to the first two times when Bilam said, I'm going to go and I'll see if I can curry favor with God and I'll see what what message I get. This time, he takes it, it almost upon himself to say, it's in God's interest to bless these people. I'm not going to go the normal way I went. I'm go- going facing the desert. And he cast his eyes up. And this is the only time that we hear this sort of phrase. That the Spirit of God is on him. We certainly assume that whenever God is speaking with him. But to hear it explicitly, this fellow who turns out later to be a uh, conspiring enemy against B'nai Yisrael, at this point, seems to be a very holy man. Bil'am lifts up his eyes, and he sees Yisrael settled by their tribes. Imagine this beautiful view of seeing this entire camp of the Mishkan in the middle, of the Levim around them, of the four camps, all the tribes by, by their designation. And this gives him Ruach Elohim. And this is again for the first time he's seeing the entire camp. And now he speaks his peace. He shares his parable. And he says the following. So it's, this is the speech of Bil'am, the son of Baor. Beno is a poetic form. And this is the speech of the man with the open eye. Nu'um shomea imre'el. And again, he's, this is the speech, this is an introduction to one who hears the words of God, He sees the visions of God fallen with his eyes open, meaning that 
he he recognizes that when he sees these images, he has to be fallen, but he's able to see them. And what is it that he sees? Matovu ohalacha Yaakov mishkenotecha Yisrael. First thing he sees is how beautifully their tents are set up. Rashi has a beautiful comment on it, quoting the Midrash, that the openings of the tents do not face each other, and this is a measure of tzniut. This is exactly the thing that Bilam is later going to use in his dastardly plan against us. But how goodly are your tents, how beautiful your mishkanot, which may be a reference to the mishkan, or just a poetic form of oalacha. And this is as good a time as any, although we've seen it several times, just an important note about biblical poetry. Biblical poetry, like all biblical texts, but more pronounced, is operates on a feature that we refer to as parallelism. Uh, biblical parallelism meaning that you have a particular phrase, and the phrase is divided into two parts. If the phrase occupies the entire pasuk, the entire verse, then the etnachta trope will sit, will mark the end of the first half. And in poetry, typically, the two halves balance each other. So there are similar phrases that parallel. So ohalecha matches with mishkenotecha, and Yaakov matches with Yisrael. And you'll notice that the words matovu are not repeated in the second half, and there's no parallel. This operates on a system that we refer to as forward gapping, where we assume the matovu to be repeated. So we really read properly, be matovu alecha Yaakov, matovu mishkenotecha Yisrael. But think about what that would be doing, that would do to the meter. So as a result of that, the matovu is omitted and assumed in the second half. Kinechalim nitayu. They stretch out like, like a river. Now this is, he's now looking at a desert, but they stretch out like a river. Kiganot alei nahar. Now imagine this. He's looking at an absolutely isolated place. It's a yeshimon. One of the driest words you could use in Tanakh to describe an area. And he's describing the people like a, in a pastoral. Kiganot alei nahar. Like gardens on the riverbanks. Ke'ahalim nata adonai, ke'arazim alemayim, like aloe trees that God has planted, like cedars standing by the water. So he sees this nation, and they're in the desert, and all he can describe is a lush scene. Yizal mayim midaliyav, water drips down from them, v'zarob mayim rabim, and the seed is in many waters, v'yarom mi'agag malko, v'tinaseh malchuto. They will rise, <coughs> his king will rise above Agag, whether this is a prophetic statement about David or about Shaul, or whether it's a even further prophetic statement about the defeat of Haman, or about some eschatological vision, or whether Agag was a, uh, a king name with which they are already familiar with, a titular name. In any case, the kingdom will rise above them. So now, not only is he describing the nation in terms of the beauty of the way that they're settled and the sense of lushness that they bring to the desert, but also, again, as we saw in the previous set, about their power. El That was a passage that we already had, but now the second half is added. They will utterly destroy their enemies and, and smash their bones. They lie down like a lion, like a lioness. Who could wake them? Who could raise them? And the ultimate statement is a repetition of what God said to Avraham and the inverse of what it is that Balak sent to Balaam at the beginning. Those who bless you are blessed. Those who cursed you are cursed. 
And Bilam essentially saying, there's no way in the world that I would curse you. That's the end of his statement. Now Balak gets angry at Bilam because Balak, again, assumes that Bilam is doing this on his own. He spoke at Kapav. He hits his hands together. claps his hand together, hands together out of anger. And again, this is like Bilam's third time of striking the donkey. I called you. I summoned you to curse my enemy. You have blessed them instead three times. There's a little bit of a play here, again, with the scene of the donkey, because two absolutely unrelated words but happen at the same root. One is levarech, and one is lahavrich. Levarech, which is to bless, and lavrich, which is to kneel, meaning to cause the birkayim to go down. So, vayavrech hagmalim, to have animals crouch down, is using uses that word, and that's exactly what the donkey did the third time. So you better run back to your place. And whether Balak is saying this honestly or sardonically, I decided I wanted to honor you, and here God has kept you from kavod. This is the one time that Balak uses the word of the Shem Hashem. He says, this God has kept you from the kavod. So he's saying to Bilam, essentially, either he's saying it tongue-in-cheek and saying, you've decided not to, you're afraid, or else he says it honestly, in which he's saying, you're basically a puppet. I'm pulling you one way and giving you lots of honor. He's keeping you from kavod. Who would you rather go with? And you've opted with him. So what's Bilam's answer? I told your messengers the same thing. There's nothing new here. And he's, he's, he's quoting himself. If Balak gives me his entire household of silver and gold, lo pi adunai, I could not violate God's word, God's command, la tova to do anything good or bad, milibi, from my own heart, meaning, I can't make a decision to curse or to bless. Whatever God says, that's what I'm gonna do. And again, this aliyah ends, and now it's six for six. Aliyot did end, with a confirmation that God is in charge and that it's God's word that must be abided here. Uh, we'll uh, pause at this point. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a longer podcast in the seventh book because it'll be the end of Bilam's Nevoah and then the final scene, which is contrasted with all of this as we, uh, for the first time uh, in this uh, parasha, zoom the camera in on, on Am Yisrael. And then there's what to say about a fascinating find from 1967 which illuminates much about this parasha. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.